Welcome to another Azure-centric podcast. My name is Marcos Nogueira, and we are at the Azure Weekly Update. Uh, with me, it's it's that beautiful face that you all know, all the all the world knows, Angelos. How are you, my friend? I am doing really, really well today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and chatting with you again. Absolutely. We had a couple of days off, let's say. Yeah, a couple and... of the episodes that you guys uh, text me to see if everything is okay and everything else, and and send me emails and I and we appreciate the, the, the that feedback that you guys misses in this case uh, from the last two weeks, <laughs> but we are back. Um, nothing major is just basically busy agendas um, and some time off that we uh, all deserve. Uh, so we decided to, instead of talking just for talking, we decided to just give you a break of two weeks and we are coming back. Um, Absolutely. With more content, with all of that. So first of all, thank you so much for being here. If it's the, if it's, this is your first time that you are arriving at our show, don't forget to subscribe. Oops. Oh, I'm hiding the subscribe button. Yes. That's a pretty big offense. So I, I will go another way. So don't forget to subscribe. Okay. Wonderful. Um, don't forget to smash that like button. <laughs> and even if you don't, don't smash like button, there is a button on beside it. That it's okay to, to smash it as well from time to time. But yeah, click the bell. That way then uh, everybody will get a yeah, notification. Yeah, I always right? forget that. Click the bell. And then you get notification when we release this. Um, mm -hmm. So this week we have to say that it was a pretty uh, calm week on the Azure world. It uh, was. It was. It was a little on the quiet side. It yeah. was on the quiet side. I have to say I agree with you a hundred percent. Although it's more like um, may we say it's a little bit on the security side, identity management side kind of week right with a lot yeah, of good agree. things coming and 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 funny or not is always like that right we're starting a new project we're getting a new project and and it's always coming these new features and uh, we always have the pleasure to work on those absolutely it's one of the things i think that we both really enjoy yeah um is being able to explore the new features and Sometimes it's tough, right, in the consulting world because we have to uh, lead and educate our customers, right? Yeah, and learn um, at the same time. <laughs> a lot. I was about to say sometimes you're a little bit on the hot seat because they'll Absolutely. have a very good question. It's, you know what? That's a great question. I'm going to get back to you exactly. on that one. <laughs> just, just give me a few moments uh, so I can spill dial my friend and we'll talk about it. And I will come back with you uh, after the coffee. <laughs> it, it, it has happened before oh, it will happen again absolutely. oh my gosh yeah i think it's going to be a good week what do you think i think it's going to be an awesome week for that uh, i have no doubt uh, on, on that so it's not a we hope okay we always hope for the best uh it's not going to be a, a long podcast uh, but it's going <laughs> to be a good one because you we are not say those things. We are we cannot say I know. But we don't care about 
quantity, we care about quality. So usually with the quantity of, of updates, we're going lower with the quality uh, of the content. Usually when we have less updates, we're going way deeper. Let's see how it goes because we did press the button of recording this podcast and we That's only uh, press it again when we finish. So let's roll. What do you think? I'm ready. Let's, let's give it. Let's start it. So welcome back. And let's start with the first update. The first update, it's not from this week. It's from the week before. But it's one of the things that we want to bring it because we didn't have the episode before uh, or the last week episode. But this is one of the things that I, I challenge Andrew to bring it over. That is the VPN NAT is now in public preview. Why is this important in your perspective, Andrew? Uh, see, this is, a, this is a, an interesting question. So, so VPN NATing is really uh, SNAT, right? Or Secure Network Address Translation. And this is part of a well-rounded security solution wrapped around VPN connectivity. Uh, that can be between two sites. It can be between a site and your Azure tenant. Uh, could be between your private data center and another site. Uh, in any case, you really want to wrap uh, as many layers as we can, right? So when we think about security, we're always talking about different layers. And each layer adds a little bit of protection. And if we also include monitoring and auditing and alerting, kind of together with these layers, then what we get is a very robust security solution. And we can build automations uh, in with that. So part of all of that, the reason I explain so much is because we can get very technical very quickly with a lot of um, acronyms uh, on the networking side when we talk about VPN NATing. So uh, really the important things that I like, um, and I did uh, bring up the uh, Microsoft Docs article on this one as well. Uh, and some of the things that I immediately have my eye drawn to, drawn to, I should say, is the learned routes. So uh, once a NAT rule is defined for the connection, the effective address space for that connection will change with the rule. So it becomes this dynamic uh, tool that you can use as part of your configuration and uh, all you have to do is enable this on your Azure VPN gateway, right? And uh, enable BGP route translation. And this is gonna really reduce a lot of the overhead that traditionally, if address spaces are changing dynamically assigned address spaces, right? Um, this is gonna help address a lot of the overhead for the networking team or the security team that was taking care of that. So it automatically adjusts. So that's kind of like, for me, uh, kind of the wrapper of what we're getting. And the first feature my eye was really drawn to. Uh, I, I really like the BGP route translation. I think that's gonna reduce a lot of work for uh, administrators that have been um, kind of stuck doing those updates traditionally. Absolutely. Uh, but for me, 
uh, you mentioned that perfectly but for me this comes to help uh, and what I'm about to say going to refresh your memory uh, some of one of the project that we did two years ago right before this pandemic okay that was the reason that we brought into the project is because they had uh, overlap in this case uh, subnets you betcha okay and this vpn nat okay allows you now to have overlap subnets or overlap ip ranges in your um, configuration in your environment because that was until until now again this is in preview we have to say uh, but when it becomes ga now it's allow you to just have those uh, network overlap so means that your network on premise okay uh, can be the network that you have for example for uh, the 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 azure as well um, so you don't need to extend and this is especially good okay for a lot of reasons one of them is for those servers that there are that we are migrating and that inside of that vms they are hard-coded with ip ranges okay with ip it's not the best practice uh it's not but sometimes we encounter so many times on the thousands of vms on workloads that we already migrate to the to to the, to the cloud right mm -hmm. and I'd, I'd actually just like to add uh, just think and i apologize for interrupting no. Um, I just want to add to that, that when we're talking about hard-coded IPs, we're not talking just about the VM layer. We're talking about applications, applications especially yeah. custom applications yeah. that have hard-coded IPs. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just, I just wanted to kind of throw that one in there because uh, I wanted people to really catch on to that. Yeah. And it's not only that. It's like in organizations, like for example, I have one organization that I want to connect to your organization for some reason, right? And we might use exactly the same IP range. Now we can have this. The way that they are building this is very clever because BGP, right, is the way that everything we should do it because it's simple, uh, it's way more manageable. The way that BGP works, it's announced all the routes and all of that to, the, to all of those things, if I'm not saying any anything wrong but what they have in this case is two rules okay they have the static rule and they have the dynamic rule and this is where i think it's really smart okay because the starting rule is basically you have those fixed address mapping relationship right so for example if you have one of your um um, and this happens a lot of time. If you have one of those offices that you have some IP range and they are okay and they are behind some kind of, of firewall and you want to connect, in this case, to those um, data centers or, the, or that Azure, you can have the, the, the static rule that they are stateless. So it means that they don't care. They don't care about what is the state of your connection. 
they basically we translate that network from what you have right to what is that you are transporting to Azure. So those are the static ones. The other one is dynamic. It's a little bit more complicated to set up, okay? But is the part that you have based on the availability of that IP based, you are in its state. So it basically knows what is coming from and where is going to, right? And it's based on availability and you can have different combinations of TCP ports, UDP, DDP ports, with all of that that you have it. So this is the part that, that's why for me, uh, this is one of the things that I wanted to bring it because, man, what if we, if this, I have to say, especially to you, Andrew, if this was released two or three years ago or two and a half years ago, we were not opportunity to work on that project. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes and no. That project had a lot of other uh, technical yes. challenges as well. Let's say. But the main but one was this one, right? It was. It was the catalyst, right? It was the reason um, that we got engaged, and I'm glad we did. It was a pleasure to work with a lot of those folks, to be honest. And it's always a pleasure to work on a project together with you. Yeah. Um, I always relish that opportunity, right? <laughs> so, just thinking about hot dogs and barbecues. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I catch up the opportunity as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the <laughs> it's already started. At least I waited till the end of the talk. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, so I really let's agree. Let's put some mustard um, on the talk. Exactly right. So I think, uh, you know, the dynamic rule sets. Um, oh my gosh, this is going downhill so fast, folks. <laughs> Can tell us after a very busy, very long, stressful yes. week for both of us. We're just ready to uh, have some fun. But uh, I will say the dynamic rules are going to be very powerful and uh, the ability to deal with uh, a PIPA addresses as well yes. um, has been built in. And those are the non-routable addresses, right? So uh, internally on the NAT, like go and read this article if this is a challenge you're facing is what we should probably say uh, because there's a lot of very good technical detail in here. And the, as always, I want to say, the MS doc does a really, really good job of communicating what's involved in this technical feature. And uh, again, uh, I'd also like to stress this is in preview, uh, not appropriate at all in this case for a production environment. Um, far too uh, big of a risk, I feel like, uh, for production environments. So uh, test it. Um, and it's, you know, it's not that tough these days with modern switches, even at home, if you're using like a Unify switch or something, you can uh, provision multiple uh, networks and uh, try it out between your home network and uh, your cloud instance with Azure uh, using the Azure VPN and see what happens. Try it out. Uh, Absolutely. And, that, and that's the idea is, is those scenarios that, that uh, we, we talk about what coming on this update and we talk the scenarios that this update when it becomes GA will enable uh, it's 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 now, gonna impact so many customers yeah it's, it's gonna going be great to impact a lot of customers and it's going to impact how we design because usually we start uh, we start our conversation for example when we design all of these architectures and all of these solutions is what is your IP uh, um, range 
in this case, architecture, uh, because we need to define something new for Azure. And that is so, always, always, especially on the big organization, is always. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, well, one of the one of the challenges I had, even um, I think I was talking with you about it in the winter time, was I was working on a project for a very large enterprise, and they had hundreds and hundreds of VLANs on prem. And there was a lot of challenge trying to balance on-prem versus cloud, uh, because by the time we, you know, provision out all the different subnets, um, it does not take long in a large enterprise to run out of networks. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, now I have a question, and I'm kind of hoping that a lot of other people are thinking this too. And you're going to think that Andrew, that's a really uh, newbie kind of a question, but I'm going to ask it anyways because it's on my mind. So. With this big change to network architecture impact that this uh, VPN SNATing can have, does the well-architected framework documentation get updated aligned with this change? And what's the normal delay on that update? Absolutely. Usually they don't do this, as far as I know, they don't do this on the preview. They come with, with the GA. And I don't think it's going... So this doesn't change much, okay, uh, on the well frame architects, at least in, in my point of view. I, I agree, um, but what I'm what I'm thinking of is the robustness, right? So initially, the recommendation has been that we don't overlap networks, um, and that might continue to be the recommendation. But the reality is that we often, um, if allowed, companies will absolutely overlap networks, right? So. Uh, I think uh, I, I was just wondering about that and I'll keep an eye on it and maybe uh, I'll make a note and I'll see if we can update our audience as well. No, but I, I was curious about that. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, it, it's not, again, it's not best practice, even on internal uh, to do that. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. It's, it's doable. It is there. Uh, they are just, uh, and I'm almost sure that these uh, VPN not, it's it's basically one of those that um, the community ask for it because there must be so many uh, situations and, and, and scenarios that they need it and now they are they are implementing right, but again, it on the on the big organizations it's too much work. You're starting to put it's not the problem of the work; it's the complexity of having another net rules and to troubleshoot that, my friend. Is going to be a challenge um, because now you have IPs that they are overlap where it's coming from that or not so you need to really design your solution really well really going into this detail level that we talk about it to uh, be able to implement these on 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 the correct way without any issues right because you are adding complexity uh, with NAT absolutely oh definitely yeah and maybe maybe the i think the the uh last piece of advice i think let's say um that i want to leave with our uh, viewers and listeners is when you're enabling that on any cloud network please please make sure that you've enabled packet monitoring and logging and that you have it uh configured so that uh you can turn it on very easily and that it has uh, like a smaller retention yeah. so that you can do captures in an ongoing basis 
to do troubleshooting on demand. Um, it's really, uh, you would do the same thing on-prem yep. with your equipment for natting, for firewalling. Uh, so uh, do the same yep. thing in your public cloud. Absolutely. And with all of this, for example, and now that you mentioned this, I'm, I'm just thinking on, on, on governance about this is, now you need to revisit probably your naming convention for NSGs. Because if you are one of those persons that, or one of those organizations that you put, for example, the IP range on the name of your NSG, uh, guess what? You can repeat those. What, what are you going to implement those? So a lot of those type of things is going to happen. And this is just an example that just came to my mind. So it needs to be well thought. It needs to be well, um, well designed, well solutioned. So you are not suffering any type of those because guess if you are using even the same NSG and you're changing a port, guess what? You are changing a port for all of the NSGs that is being applied uh, in this case uh, for that that particular one, right? If you change exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's, never as easy as it seems on no, the surface. No, no, it's, it? it's never. Easy. It's a good update <laughs> because it embraces. It's awesome. It yeah. embraces even more scenarios that we encounter in, in, in on, on, our, on our projects and our daily, daily tasks that we are doing on Azure uh, makes, makes a little bit more um, openness, let's call it this way, the part of the cloud. So it's not that restricted that you need to do all of those type of things, but all of that comes with the price tag, right? The price tag we cannot see right now but it's going to be the price tag of maintaining troubleshooting and make it work, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, upgrades always have that hidden uh, cost underneath them. So really cool. Uh, sorry to take up uh, extra time. I know you said at the start, it's going to be quick. So uh, 30 minutes to the end of our first update. Just FYI. <laughs> That's okay. Let's move to the next one. That is Azure AD. Privilege Identity Management integration with Azure Lighthouse is now in public preview. This is huge, okay? Especially in our in our uh, in our work, uh, this is huge. Having the Azure AD PIM, uh, in this case, integrated with Azure uh, Lighthouse, that promotes what is the module that we should always go forward. That is the zero trust. First of all, I would like to go on a few concepts over here before we start going on this on this update. The zero trust model, okay, is a security model that is well embraced in 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 the cloud. That you don't trust any machine, you don't trust any workload, even if you are coming from on-prem to your express route or to your vpn you don't trust it so you need to protect what you have on the cloud basically that is uh, uh what the zero trust in a very few words model is all about okay the other thing is before we go into this is azure lighthouse azure lighthouse is a, is an awesome service that you have for organizations that they have multiple in this case uh, that they have managed service providers for example to just monitor or to just work with 
in this case, the customer or with their customers. Okay. Yeah. Multiple customers. Multiple yeah. customers. So basically you have your Azure Lighthouse that it's, it's a native management tool that allows those service providers, the CSPs usually to uh, efficient build and deliver security and manage service to uh, every single customer by using this service. And the Azure AD PIM is the part in that you can have the integration of the privileged accounts. So basically you don't need anymore those admin accounts uh, that you usually have on on-premise because on-premise the best practice is that you should have your normal account and then you should have an admin account to do all of, of all of those elevated privilege accounts on the cloud with PIM you don't need anymore. So that's correct. So yeah. basically uh, the, the best practice is you use your account when you need it you going to this service, the Azure AD PIM, right? And you elevate yourself to the group or to the elevated privilege that you require to perform that, that task. Okay. After that, it, usually it's a time bomb. So can be by minutes to 24 hours. Um, you made that sound very exciting for a moment there. Yes. I hope that by mentioning <laughs> that, uh, bomb word that I mentioned again, uh, we will not get kind of issues with those three letters down so, on the side of the border. No, no talking about PIM while you're in an airport. Uh, let's make that rule. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Or even Just bomb. in case. <laughs> if you don't want to have any problem, don't listen to this podcast while you are passing the security part. Because Use your I, headphones, folks, please. I think I repeat bomb too many times. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might have that one flagged for a review on the YouTube upload now, but that's okay. <laughs> please, please validate you're not any crazier than any other regular day. <laughs> exactly. See, we should we should write all those prompts. But you're but you're absolutely right though. So, so Lighthouse integration is really for Azure partners, Azure um, CSPs and MSPs managed service providers, cloud service providers, um, all these different kind of affiliations with Azure and Microsoft, right? And I use it um, on a fairly regular basis, actually. Um, I definitely use PIM uh, quite a lot. Uh, many of my clients now have PIM. Uh, otherwise, uh, sometimes I come in to put PIM in for them. <laughs> so <laughs> fairly familiar with it. But uh, one of the really cool things is that we've been introduced to Lighthouse kind of on the technical side for a couple of years already, right? Like it's, uh, I don't remember exactly when it uh, came out and when I started using it, but it's been very exciting. And combining the tools together, let's say the Azure services together, uh, Azure Arc and Azure Lighthouse, add in uh, Azure Active Directory Privileged Identity Management, the PIM, uh, it becomes very, very powerful for allowing vendors, subcontractors, even just remote workers from other companies to be able to have access to your environment, but you still have very tight controls and logging over it. So it's a really good way to um, bridge gaps and allow even temporary access with Lighthouse even, right? 
and making sure that accounts are properly protected with, with PIM. Enforce things like uh, MFA as a good example, right? That's the, I always think of like the low hanging fruit. What are the easy things to, to target? Definitely multi-factor authentication. Um, yeah, so I think uh, this, this update for me at least is really exciting. Uh, because it starts to kind of bring all of these things together a little bit better. With PIM integrated now with Lighthouse, we can start to layer uh, those technologies. Notice I'm really doing a little bit of tie in there. So uh, layering these different technologies together with PIM and Arc, Lighthouse, you really start to see how the suite of products uh, is going to be able to make uh, life easier for our customers, right? And it's not it's not only that, right? It's like usually when you if you are experienced with having a, a, a managed service or a cloud service provider, usually you have high privileged accounts, right? And mm -hmm. be able to integrate those, it's like imagine the scenario that I like about these is security for the customer. Because uh you are the managed service. You have the knowledge, right, of of uh, maintaining that service depending on, on what is your relationship. But theoretically, you are the SME, right? And the customer is just using uh, the, the Azure for that. So, and be able to uh, um, kind of a, a bad person to with bad intentions to try to, to, do, to uh, access that on the on the client side is like i have this third party uh, that is managing they have access usually a lot of access on this and with pim you can put what's called the approval process yes okay, in place so means that when you are trying to elevate yourself to those very high level for example global admin or something like that okay or owner uh, of the subscription and something like that, that you need to create whatever it is that you need to do it. You can implement a process that you can have a control by default on even if that CSP or, or MSP, like you mentioned, is coming into your environment. So it's not like, oh, now uh, because they have access, they can do whatever they want to do it and they can enable service and disable services and and, and delete service and create service, whatever it is. Now, now you can have a little bit more your level of security of your environment that you are adding PIM, okay, to the lighthouse that allows you, for example, your those partnership that they are very helpful because they have all of that technical knowledge, they have all of that experience uh, to just helping you be more successful and be more productive on the Azure world. This yep, is absolutely. where I see this PIM integration be very helpful because it will help to control all of those, right? Uh, to help an, another level of uh, um, security uh, and confidence on the customer level to have all of those services. Yep. Absolutely, yeah, you're, you're spot on. The elevation of privilege um, and the approval process, uh, it really should go hand in hand when you're building your design and you're doing your implementation and you're working through those things. Yep. Um, trying those out is really uh, 
a really cool experience I've found for a lot of people. Um, if it's new, the approval process, I should say, if the approval process is new, then um, it can really be uh, a very exciting way to reduce risk overall, right? Besides that, you have the log trail that PIM gives you, right? So absolutely, so, so very it, detailed, it's very detailed, and, and all of that. So it's it's a very nice uh, way to see that PIM, the integration, the PIM with uh, Lighthouse and all of that. Mm. Moving on to the other update, uh, a little bit more more geeky, uh, at least for us, is the virtual machine level disk bursting is now in GA on more vm types so mm -hmm. i do remember this okay this this um update coming to uh preview and now is in ga so this means that all of those vms that is the dsv4 dasv4 ddd sv4 ESV4 and whatever it is. There's what? so many. There are so many. And how, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? Like what? This bursting. I just Nothing. want to say it's free. It's free. So no right. additional cost is associated with this. So what is this helping? And it's on it's on, on, on the post. Is in these scenarios. First of all, improves that for me is the most important one the boot time process the boot time oh my gosh by yes. that it's just uh, 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 already a win with that I, extra cost i want to say it feels like it cut it in half yeah like it's way faster and i have to say that that even on windows right on windows client right now not the windows 11 but windows 10 man I build a new VM and the new version, the, the latest version, you click on the start menu and it's, it's, I think it's faster than an iPad, to be very honest. I, I was, think you might be right. I now, was you have a pretty space. beefy system though that you've yes, built, right? Yes, like lots uh, of RAM and a very good processor. Yes. And, uh, uh, I have to say that. But even compared with my MacBook Pro, it's like insanely fast because on my MacBook Pro, I can turn it on. Okay. Uh, it comes very fast on the login process. Yes, mm -hmm. it does. Not as fast as Windows 10, I have to say. They are about the same specs. Okay. But my God, I was not expecting that because you know that usually you press the power button, right? And then you are, you have a few seconds like, oh, let me do this. And yep. uh, like watching or, 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 or turning around to grab something, say, is already on? No, cannot be. Did I, did I turn it off? So I turn it off again, right? And I press again because I could not believe it, how fast it was. Again, the, just to give it practice, this is exactly the same. Turning on those boot times on the virtual machines, guys, it's going to be insanely fast for free. Okay. The other two just, things... You just have to enable it. Just you have to enable it. The other thing is for batch jobs. And we know this a lot of times because oh. we mentioned this a lot of times. When you're doing batch jobs, that some applications, you're doing some kind of those analysis that you need a higher performance. Usually, I've been dealing with this to just shut down the VM, 
resize the VMs just to be able to do that so I can have that burst of performance that I need for that. Right now, I don't. Uh, it's If you are using those VMs that they are pretty basic, even the FS series, the V2, uh, it's pretty, pretty basic. You have this enabled. You just need to enable. And the other one is for traffic spikes. So if you have traffic spikes that you are unforeseeing on a lot of those circumstances, right? It's there for you, especially on web servers, especially on all of that. It's it really they are really tweaking on this level of detail, Azure and their infrastructure. That's the part that I said that this is a two gig uh, of of that, right? It is, and I love I love the graphics that they've used in the MS doc for this. I wanted to call that out because they they try to visualize this. I always talk about like a bucket and how full it is, and we you know we talk about the water level, and that's exactly what they've done. So they've shown uh, the bursting bucket, yeah. and capacity is max burst for the duration at the max burst rate, and you start out with your bucket full, and as you use. Uh, out of the credits out of your bucket, it runs out and it takes time to fill back up again, right? So uh, you can't run bursting constantly. No. You run out, your bucket runs out, uh, but it takes time, it fills up. So if you're doing batch processing, you know, two or three times overnight or something like that in bursts, then this is really going to support that kind of a model quite well. Absolutely. And that's the part that I like about these again. It, this reminds me, you like this this bursting bucket, but I, I always think this about the uh, the level the the cache that, for example, the photography machines have. Like you have, like for example, uh, and I see a lot of those. If you are related with photography, like me as well, you you have like you press the button, and, and you have like twenty shots per second, and then mm -hmm. you have like a hundred and some of machines they have like 20 photos that they can deal until they are starting re uh, 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 recording those not recording starting to uh, save those on the cards they have that buffer and uh, that's what I, I i call this this is the buffer of the bursting that you need for iops to fill it up right so it's, it's pretty cool to have that right now on the vms and they are doing, and this is GA, so it's available now, and you can use this uh, uh, right now without an additional cost. Although you have to enable, that's the only thing. By default, it's not enabled, and it makes totally sense because now if you enable this by default, um, probably we are using without any intention, and it's not for all the workloads that you want these these bursts, right? It's yeah, you really specific. only want it on the data disks yeah. uh, whenever possible, right? Absolutely. Moving to the next one, and I will give you the honors of, of presenting <laughs> this. Yeah, just because it rolls right off the tongue, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, public preview of the OWASP Mod Security Core Rule Set 3.2 for Azure Web Application Firewall. So we talk affectionately about our WAF systems, uh, web app firewalls. This is the public preview of, okay, I'm going to go for it here. The Open Web Application Security Project, OWASP, 
Mod Security Core Rule Set 3.2 or CRS 3.2 for Azure Web Application Firewall deployments running on App Gateway. Yes. So, again, it's really good to see that the the open uh, open support in this case the open web uh, uh, project the open web security project uh, it's coming to this and again rules that you can that you can create that you can enable that you can do it on the uh, web application firewall um, it's really really good to do it so in this case what protects you for example is some uh, some of those as like massive SQL injection attacks, oh, cross yes. scripting, cross site scripting attacks, uh, HTTP uh, protocol violations, bots, crawlers, scanners, all of that. So it's so simple to do it. It's in public preview. All right. For these core rules, basically what you need to, to do that is to uh, add those, enable those, and that's it. And you yeah, are absolutely. Yeah, and there's a lot of big uh, security uh, improvements, right? So they've reduced the number of vulnerabilities so that really they've patched and addressed some vulnerabilities, which is great. Uh, reducing the number of false positives Yeah. Uh, and also increasing performance. Uh, so really this is everything in an update that we kind of have come to expect from Microsoft, right? Uh, fixes and improvements rolled into one. Uh, as well as uh, I really like that they're doing this in the preview. They're rolling it out uh, kind of softly, let's say, um, so that we have a chance to test this uh, in our dev and test subscriptions first before we go to product. Absolutely. And it's really critical uh, for those applications that you have the firewall. Although the WAF, that is the web application firewall, it's not the normal firewall. It's a firewall dedicated, in this case, or more let's say, customize it for a web interface, okay? That's correct. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that if you enable this, okay, you are replacing your firewall. No. This is this this an, an enhancement. An enhancement. Yes. So you can have another layer of security to control even more your web content or your web servers in front of or in front or in the back of your general firewall. Okay, so this is the way that I just want to mention that because I had this conversation this week with with one of my uh, colleagues that uh, the WAF, why are you having WAF and, and firewall at your diagram? And this is the reason why. I just remember that that comes to my mind uh, right now. And, and I think it's important to just reiterate that part because it doesn't surpass the Azure Firewall doesn't replace, no. but is an additional one that you can have it, right? Yeah, that's a really important note, right? So we're not replacing, we're adding layers. And uh, if I may be so bold, I think we may have found a second theme for this week's updates is layers of security. <laughs> <laughs> yes, layers of security. I, I did I, not really realize that at the start, but as we've been talking through some of these, and it's not always obvious, um, no, it's not. you know, when we when we start talking, sometimes we, uh, like you say, the lower the number, the deeper the discussion, right? So, <laughs> yes, 
layers of conversation oh my god this is the layers podcast <laughs> episode well, say layers episode or episode of layers, layers. episode uh, yes welcome to the layers podcast of the layers episode number 17. exactly moving to the next layer or sorry to the next update <laughs> <laughs> you're terrible i love it <laughs> general variability of transition to cloud service extends support with the new migration tool it's now in GA. And I really remember this. It was a few months back, I have to say, <laughs> that, that we talk about this because there is in particular the name. So they kept the name the same. So you have cloud services, okay, to deploy to the cloud services, but in parentheses, extended support. So this extended support, it's now for the ARM, the Azure Resource Manager. So all your migration, it's now fully orchestrated, okay, to move entire deployments that you have to the ARM portal, to the ARM uh, uh, configuration. So this is, I think, is the last uh, effort that Microsoft is doing for you to move from the classic one, which means on ASM, to mm -hmm. the ARM to finally get rid of those ASM modules and ASM workloads. Yeah, and they I think they've done a really good job here of highlighting that this is extended support. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the second extension, if I'm remembering our last conversation a little bit, because uh, maybe this is just the, the next piece, right? But um, it's really important to know that this is uh, deprecated, right? So the old method, uh, it's eventually going to have to be decommissioned at some point, they'll have to turn it off yeah. and we move towards uh, ARM, right? So, and, and, and this is built, for example, to just, uh, if you are new, to the to the podcast right um or if you are already but you didn't see that episode uh, this is basically to move for example if you have those classic vms okay uh, to move to the uh to the vms to the, what is the normal so you cannot create new classic vms anymore uh, no. but if you already have those vms that they are still running and is still wants to move it and there was a lot of issues before of moving right those classic workloads to the what's called the arm um, to the arm portal or not the portal to the arm as arm resource let's call this one right um because there are a lot of differences there are a lot of dependencies there are lots of parameters that you have on arm if you are comparing with with the version one so I always like to call the ASM the version one of Azure and the ARM on the version two of Azure. So if you are still running all of those workloads, especially VMs uh, that you are using the version one, this tool uh, will allow you to migrate those, okay? Providing you with the test migration that you needed, okay? That is fundamental because you should not go then blinding say next 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 finish it's not that the idea is to test that and basically it goes 
um, on three fundamental steps. It validates, okay, uh, first of all, your workload, okay, and, and does that by testing it. It prepares your workload because there are a few changes that you need to do it, okay, on the workload for you. And, it, and at the end, it will commit or abort, depending on where you are, your workload. So it kind of sets you up for success by preparing your workload on or validating all of the things that you need to address, right? So if there are some incompatibilities, you need to address on those. But if you aren't, at least you get a nice report. You get a nice way to say, yes, that workload it's ready. It prepares your workload for that, uh, that migration, right? And then finalize that so you delete the other one or abort if anything uh, uh, gone, gone wrong and you need to roll back. So, again, all of this is pretty amazing what they are trying to do uh, to just try to move all of those platform orchestrated migration on your existing cloud services and yeah. usually it's where is critical right it's where we because changing a lot of those type of things it's it's massive i remember one of one of my recent projects i did last year for example that i was migrating um a very mainframe big uh, project to microservices. On the paper, it's absolutely amazing getting rid of one of the most used and 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 sturdy and and stable platforms that is the mainframe, right? But very old, very rudimentary. You cannot go you cannot go scale on that and and all of that to a microservice that is where everyone should go right now that is the new architecture of, of everything that you should do, right? Um, but it's not a simple way that you have like, a, you press the magic button and now you get rid of your mainframe and you're moving to microservice. It's not, it's a journey. You have yes. to slice down and you have to probably going to a, 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 a middle layer, I will say tier, but now we are on a layer podcast. We have to say layers on the middle layer <laughs> to move to the top layer that is the microservices, right? For example, and yeah, uh, and those type of things with this migration tool uh, will help you. And I know that I, I've been talking a lot. So do you want to add anything, Andrew? I didn't say <laughs> Actually, anything. no, I, uh, maybe if anything, I just want to highlight. I think I think what you uh, were talking about uh, to, uh, when you were speaking to the journey, that, that there is no magic button that we can press. Uh, there's no one size fits all migration tool, uh, that it's a journey, that even though um, all of these tools, all of the people that work on these tools, everything is really well done, it's well packaged, and it's very usable. But there's always one system that won't work with them. And we have to uh, always just plan carefully in fact, this morning, uh, I was talking uh, in a workshop with a client and saying, you know, the methodology that I really follow when it comes to migrating uh, complex systems is prepare, prepare, prepare. 
Uh, is there anything else to the recipe? No, not, we just have to do a lot of preparation. Uh, it's a journey, it takes some time. We have to be thoughtful when uh, we build these migrations and especially when we take a system like a mainframe and we break it down to microservices, it takes a lot of planning and preparation to do that. So yeah, they're very fun, they're very exciting projects to work on, uh, but they also uh, can be complex. So I guess that's maybe the fun part, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the next one, it's, it's, it's not an update. We already talked about that on, on the update, but it's the blog post that talks about this PIM with Azure Lighthouse uh, that enables zero trust. So it's, it's way more, it talks about uh, with the different types of, of, of scenarios, um, especially with the way that you want to protect your environment, right? And you have all of these third parties uh, that they are your service providers, or in this case, your managed service provider or the cloud service provider network and how you can basically protect from even from ransomware uh, because no one is, 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 how I can say, is not uh, 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 totally free of getting compromised with ransomware. Even the clouds providers uh, or the managed providers, solution providers, they can be hit by a ransomware, uh, or even even the customer, right? Uh, Absolutely. The customer can can imagine this: the customer gets ransomware, gets into the the managed service provider, and now the managed service providers just go to the other one. So it's it's really it's really careful for both sides, and by using this by using the least privilege access and i think this zero trust it's what it does it makes the zero trust with least privilege access um available and moving to that journey enables this that's what we want to bring once again on this podcast because i think it's it's the part that we want to to bring it absolutely right and uh you know just in time access is a big part of him, yes. like we were talking about a little earlier, um, that that's the, the process of uh, having approvals for elevated privileges. And it allows us to consolidate accounts. We don't have to have separated accounts in cloud. Uh, it also allows uh, easy integration, uh, maybe not the right word, easier integration with um, vendors. So in the case of MSP, the MSP can use their uh, Azure AD account to integrate through Lighthouse to your tenant and using PIM approve just-in-time credentials for that vendor to access your systems. Yeah. So it's a very, uh, it's a really good way to help support zero trust model coming in. And like you're saying, it really reduces risk. It eliminates the need for, um, uh, vendors and customers to really integrate using a VPN or something like that, where the risk of moving a compromised system or a virus across that VPN connection is increased. So Lighthouse really reduces that risk quite significantly. Yeah. And, and the PIM, you don't need to... So one of the things that I, I'm, re, I'm just thinking right now that might create some kind of... Um, not confusion, but some kind of doubt is 
you don't you don't implement PIM only because of the lighthouse of because of your service provider, uh, either if it's managed or the cloud service provider. You do that because you want to implement PIM across the board, mm -hmm. across your organization. So and that is the part that it's really important to re revisit this concept of the PIM because it's the way that you're protecting yourself. Okay, again, we are just extending that integration to Lighthouse, so you don't need to give the keys of the kingdom, okay, to uh, another organization that it makes you uncomfortable. So this allows you to just take that barrier, barrier in this case, not barrier, but the barrier down, because now you have another set of controls for that type of situations. Of course, that you have way more controls like you mentioned, the, the just-in-time, the JIT, it's another one. Mm -hmm. So uh, the just-in-time allows you to just going on that particular resource, a VM, for example, that you are enabled, in this case, RDP, uh, that usually should be disabled. Uh, you are enabled RDP, even if you are using Bastion service or not. Mm -hmm. You are enabled uh, uh, just-in-time access to that type of resource and again it's coming with a time period a limited time period that you can do i didn't use the word bomb okay it's not even an explosive description that's terrible it, it, <laughs> <laughs> okay i i think where are we going i think <laughs> i think we have to to seize in this case this <laughs> this, this podcast because we are getting to... I think far. that's a very good idea. Let's just keep moving on. Let's keep moving on. So the next one is... No, next one. The next one is to thank you, Andrew, in this case. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I miscounted earlier that. <laughs> to thank you and to thank you, in this case, that you arrived to this madness of layers of, of, <laughs> of podcast. Uh, <laughs> The podcast of layers or the layers of podcast, whatever you want to decide it. Uh, it's just semantics. Um, to just thank you. Um, and thank you, Andrew, for, for, for being here. And don't forget, once again, to smash that like button. Uh, ring the bell. Not ring the bell. Uh, press the bell so you can get a more notification. And subscribe to the channel. Um, and subscribe to, to our podcast uh, it's very fun as you can already see and once again thank you Andrew thank you so much I uh, really appreciate being here uh, and as always thank you to all of our viewers and listeners uh, you and each and every one of you are the reason we do this so yes, thank you absolutely so uh, see you next week and bye for now <laughs>